one of the things that, that an advice I could give out to any young aspiring chefs or anybody that just got their chef job is keep your eyes open for the raw talent. When you see the raw talent, culture it and, and teach it your way because then that raw talent is going to continue and continue your teachings and, and your methods that, hey, you know, I didn't come up with this stuff. You know, I learned this from my mentor chefs because they mentored me. So I think it's important as a chef to be a mentor because, you know, you're only as good as your legacy. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my friend, Chef Sean Bernal, the executive chef of the soon-to-be-open Mayfair House Hotel in Coconut Grove, and it's opening tomorrow. So, Chef Sean, I know how busy you are getting an opening done. Thanks for joining me. Steve, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time now, and it's great to see your face, my man. (laughs) Well, Chef, (laughs) let's jump right into this. What was your first job in hospitality? My first job ever in hospitality. Well, I, I started going to um, Johnson and Wales around 1994, right? So fresh out of high school, graduated mm-hmm. in '93. You know, of course, lived here in Miami. And while I was going to school at Johnson and Wales, uh, I found a job at a place called the Chuck Wagon, which the is Chuck Wagon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a, a kind of a breakfast joint. Over in uh, in Kendall. Yeah, I, I grew uh, up going there. Right off of uh, uh, Sunset Drive. And mm-hmm. That was my first job, man. It was uh, incredible because, you know, Johnson and Wales had kind of like a weird schedule. So, you'd, you know, you'd work, you'd go to school Monday through Thursday. And you'd be there from like either 1 to 7 o'clock at night mm-hmm. or 7 to 1 in, uh, in the afternoon. So, it's kind of hard to hold down a job with that kind of schedule. So you pretty much had your weekends free. So, you know, I, I found I found a job, uh, you know, I was going around because I lived in Kendall at the time. So I was running around everywhere, anyone that would hire me. And I walked into this place, the truck wagon. I used to love going there to eat. And I was like, you know what, maybe they could, you know, give me a job, you know, working in breakfast. I just wanted to really get my feet wet. You know, I was hoping to find an inn somewhere. And that was the place that gave me my first in. So I, I worked Saturdays and Sundays for about, I'd say, probably six months, uh, coming into work at five in the morning, 
out of there by one o'clock in the afternoon. It was it was insane. And if you've ever been there, the line the line started at seven a.m. and then sling yeah. eggs and, and then hotcakes. Yeah, for listeners, if you're not from Miami, that is like one of the breakfast spots to go to, them, especially in that during that time. That's where mm-hmm. everyone used to go. So, what was it like on the first day? Because you weren't really were you cooking at home for fun? Was that something you liked uh, doing? Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I I give my love, uh, my desire to cook, and my love for cooking is you know handed down to me from my mother. Uh, she's a very 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 good cook. Mm-hmm. And as a kid growing up, you know, I would always be in the kitchen when she was doing things. You know, most of the time eating, but I always had like this this curiosity with 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 cooking and with food. Specifically ingredients. I always wanted to taste things, you know, raw. I wanted to taste them when they were cooked. I wanted to taste them when they were halfway cooked. It was just a curiosity I always had. And, you know, that that kind of like uh, propelled me into I mean, because when I graduated high school, I had no idea that I was mm-hmm. going to be in the kitchen and, you know, committing my life to this this crazy career that that that, that I love. So I, I don't know. I just... Uh, uh, Went full force, man. I, I mean, you know, started, uh, went to culinary school. I got turned on to the culinary school through um, an ex-girlfriend's mother, believe it or not, because I used to always, like, she used to love to cook, mm-hmm. and her husband used to love to cook, so I would always be in the kitchen trying to help, like, hey, give me the onions, I'll cut them, even though I had no clue on what I was doing. Yep. But I like to be involved, you know, because I really enjoyed the whole, I always saw it as I'm taking something raw and inedible and make turning it into something that's delicious and great. So what was so, it like that first kind of first day and first week in the chuck oh, wagon? Because that's it was, it's it very different scary. cooking at home versus walking into a commercial kitchen. It was scary. I mean, I was like, I first got in there and I mean, we weren't wearing any, no chef coats, no nothing. So, you know, I was in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. They gave me a, an apron and, and they put me, the first station I worked was, um, you know, taking care of the breakfast potatoes and, you know, dealing with size of sausage and, country sausage country ham those kind of things and then you know also the garmage station so you know in garmage there's very limited so you know making a egg salad sandwich or you know turkey sandwich or you know um you know club sandwich things like that mm-hmm. i mean I, I was you know to use the term uh deer in the headlights i was me <laughs> <laughs> i walked in there and i was like what's going on i mean no it's old school too i mean no no micros machines so no tickets Sprinting out, spitting out tickets. So the you know, waitresses would come in, write it down. Uh, the owner would expedite, and it was in one of those circular spindles, right? Mm-hmm. So when it started to get busy, it was crazy because the guy would put a straw, and that way you know what was the beginning and what was the end. But I never saw tickets at that time. So, you know, I was there for about six months. The first couple months, uh, you know, I, I I learned that station, you know, working the flat top, and then he moved me over to doing the hot cakes and omelets. And that was fun because, you know, we did omelets not in a pan. We did omelets on a flat top. Mm-hmm. So that brings us little challenges. You know, you got to be quick because if not, the eggs will spread too much, be too thin, and you can't fold them over. So um, I learned a little bit of speed with that. I think uh, as a as a chef, um, that probably was one of the most important uh, areas of training for myself because when you work breakfast, I mean, it's, it's not like uh, – you could take your time. It's like, you know, people want to have their breakfast quick. And on top of that, you're dealing with eggs. And eggs, uh, eggs is a lot like fish. You know, it's if it's undercooked, it's inedible. If it's overcooked, it's inedible. I mean, at least for me. Yeah. Some people like them overcooked. <laughs> no, got to be perfect. That's hard, man. You know, it's true. 
And it's it's a hard thing to learn. So if I could suggest anything to any up and comers, man, it'll be get a job doing the breakfast cook. And because you learn speed. That. Yeah, you learn speed in that. Yep, yep. Speed and preparation, because if you're not prepared, man, it could just turn into a nightmare. And just side note, the Forbes standard to get breakfast out is 12 minutes. So you, you gotta be fast. Exactly. So you're you're bop around there. So you're a chuck wagon for what do you say, like six months? Two years? Yeah, six months. And then, you know, I kind of started getting the itch. And I was like, man, you know, I, you know, I'm progressing in culinary school. And we're learning all the things over there, you know, making hollandaises and demi-glosses. And, you know, you start to kind of like expand your knowledge of ingredients. So then, you know, I started thinking to myself, you know, I want to get a real job, you know, in a real kitchen. And, and at the time, you know, back, we're talking back in 96, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you don't have all the areas that we have now, you know, Wynwood didn't exist. You know, no. even I would say Miami Beach wasn't a, an area to go dining. So, you know, the spots were Coral Gables, right? Cor- Coral Gables was uh, the mecca for all the fine dining. So I, I went out there and I started going around and asking for a job. And pretty much nobody wanted to hire me at the moment uh, because I was, you know, going to school. I was a culinary school kid. And they looked at me and they're like, well, you know what? No, we don't have room for you. So I just started working for free. So I went in and I was like, hey, you know what? You guys don't want to hire me, but can I come in and just help you prep? I mean, I'll cut onions. I don't care. You know, and I did that for in a couple of places. Wow. For a couple of months. Yeah. I'll give you the names. A place called Yuca. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of that. That yep. was a famous restaurant. Doug Rodriguez, Guillermo Tellez was a chef at the time. A place called Cafe Barcelona. Worked there for free as well. Uh, Marco's in the Grove. <laughs> worked there for free. Marco's in the Grove. It's funny because that's a... They they knocked it down and they built a huge high rise and that's literally catty corner to the uh to the Mayfair house. So you know I walk in there and I'm saying, "Wow, not well, look where you've come, yeah, man, working for free <laughs> you know? to, to yep. running the show." And then also uh, at the Pelican Hotel on uh, in South Beach on Ocean Drive. So I did that for a while and then you know, you know I wanted to you know feel like I bet I belong somewhere. So you know I kept going around and I walked into this place called the Bistro in Coral Gables. And that was the place that truly gave me my first uh, real cooking opportunity. Small restaurant. It's, uh, the restaurant that's there now, I believe, is Pascal's on Ponce. Mm-hmm. So before that, it was the Bistro. It was owned by uh, two gentlemen, a gentleman called Andre Barnier, and he was the, um, the front of the house guy, the maitre d', and then Hans Klein, which was uh, the chef in the back, one of my mentors. It was incredible. Back then, I got that job, and you know, I started getting paid seven fifty an hour, and I thought I had made it. <laughs> it was rich. Oh yeah, man! I went out and bought a new Toyota pickup truck and everything, man. It was like I was running around like if I made a million dollars an hour. So what were but, your what was like your family saying when you're working for free in places? Were they understanding because you're still in school and it's kind of oh, like you're you're staging? They're like, you gotta get a job that pays. Like not what at were all. you? Not at all. My mom told me she thought I was nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what are you doing? You know why don't you follow in medicine like your grandfather and things like that. And, and, you know, she thought it was crazy. I mean, she's like, how are you going working somewhere for free? You know, and you're spending all these hours. I'm like, mom, you know, this is what I like to do. I love this. So I got to do something. I got to get my, my foot in the door, you know? So that's, that's exactly what happened. Because in the nineties, it wasn't a, you know, a sexy job to be a chef. There was no food network. It was a blue collar job. Yep. Yeah. She told me, she's like, Oh, that job's for ex convicts. And I'm like, well, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not an ex I told her I'm not an ex convict, but I'll fit in with those guys because you know I kind of had that like pirate mentality that mm-hmm. kind of back then, you know. 
Uh, I wasn't, you know, a delinquent by any means, but, you know, I enjoyed hanging out and going out at night, you know, and that's something that was, you know, this career was conducive to that at the moment. No, it's true. So you start working in the Grove and uh, uh, Coral Gables. Coral Gables, yeah, at the Bistro. Um, and how long were you hanging out there? I was there, I'd say at least two years or so. I start mm -hmm. when I started there, I remember I had walked in and uh, it was a tiny kitchen, man. And when I tell you tiny kitchen, I mean, we had probably 12 burners, so two two stoves. Uh, we didn't even have a grill. We had a table, like a, a, a stovetop grill. It was incredible. I've never seen one again. It was like a, a literally grill grates with some lava rock on the inside that you would put over two of your burners. And then you crank your burners, and then you grill right there. I mean, it was incredible. Um, we didn't even have a fryer. I mean, I had one of those little weird Hitachi round fryers. Wow. You know what I'm talking about? The one yeah. with like the little basket. We had one of those. I mean, it was a tiny kitchen. If, if I could, Jesus, yeah. probably and as big as the room I'm in right now. I mean, and for tiny. listeners, if anyone hasn't met Chef Sean, and hopefully you'll go see him, you know, Chef Sean's a big boy, right? You were an offensive lineman or defensive lineman in football? Offensive lineman, yeah. Right? It was 6'4", yeah. right? Yeah, 6'1". Six, six, uh, six, well, I, when you I, see him, you stand taller. You feel taller that way. I could have. I had a chance to go play football, but it wasn't in me, man. So I can I only like imagine you. <laughs> but he, but he is uh, graceful in the kitchen. So I can only imagine you in a in a yes, tiny yes, kitchen yes. making moves around there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I remember. So when I started there, I mean, chef didn't really let me touch any of the food, and he was <laughs> like, you know, you're gonna sit next to me. You're gonna when an order comes in, you're gonna learn to read the tickets. So I would set the line you know, make all the sauces, plug them in. And then when the tickets will start coming in, I would like, if we had a steak, I would take the steak out, season it, you know, prepare mm -hmm. it, put it on a tray and let them know what was going on. So chef will start cooking. Right. Uh, and it's funny. I remember my, my first time I was able to work the line. It was Valentine's day. So, you know, we we're going to be busy. It was a tiny restaurant. I think it sat maximum like 50, 60 people. So my first day on the line, so that was set up as a, an entremetiste. It was a, a classic French brigade, right? Mm -hmm. So you had your, your lead cook or your saucier, which was the executive chef, and he was cooking all the proteins. Then you had a guy next to him that was called an entremetier. The entremetier was the guy that would do the side dishes and appetizers. And, of course, a couple little dishes that, you know, we pull out from that station too. So when I started working there, there was a, a dude called Ronald that worked there, and he called out sick. So so Hans turns and looks at me. He's like, "Well, he's like, it's your first day on the line." He's like, "Don't screw it up." Yeah. I looked at him and I was like, "All right, let's go." So you know, I had been paying attention to you know to what everybody was doing, and I'd jump in every now and then and like you know saute a couple things, and and I just got on there and I and and man, it came natural. I mean, it was just one of the best feelings ever. You know, you start uh you go into it, you're nervous as all hell, and you know you're scared. And and but then once you get in it, you're like, okay, this is easy, man. Like this, this, this comes to me. And you know, once you start making these pan sauces, and you're seeing that you're reducing them correctly, and the, and it's coming out beautiful and shiny, and you're tasting and things are tasting good. I mean, it was good. it was a big uh, personal boost for me. So yeah, that was my first time, man. Valentine's Day. Can you imagine that? Dude calls out sick, and he threw me right on the line. For anybody that doesn't know, that's out there, okay. Valentine's Day in the restaurant business is when everybody comes out, right? And, and you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's too top hell. Well, <laughs> there's mm -hmm. a lot of tops, a lot of couples out there, but a lot of people that normally never go out to eat 
go out to eat it's a special occasion so there's a lot of pressure on you to really perform and things need to be really perfect because you know maybe you're going to capture a customer that never goes out but then if you make a nice memorable experience they're going to always come to you and it's another customer that you like you know one over so there was a lot of pressure there but you know i loved it honestly i, I started to actually thrive with the pressure you crushed it that day and i'm oh, sure you continued on right so did ronald get to come back in the kitchen or you took no, a spot? no no i took a spot man chef hans told him don't bother coming back yeah like, especially you know, have, on that day i have a new cook so i love uh, it man yeah so man got in there and then you know worked there for a couple of years you know after a year being there hans fully trusted me hans left to germany for for four months and left left the restaurant to me I did all the ordering. I did everything. It was incredible. Wow. So you were really the exact chef at a really young age of uh first job ever. Yeah, man. And I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. No, but still to have that responsibility as a 20 something year old, you yeah, know, really amazing. first time chef. It was amazing. It's important as a, as a chef and as a leader to kind of empower your people to make decisions, you know, even though chefs by nature tend to be a bit uh, controlling and a bit, you know, micromanaging, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, pressure, you know, to perform and to make sure things are perfect. Yeah. But if, if the chefs that I've worked for in my past did not allow me to make mistakes, I would not be where I'm at right now. So to me, it was very important. It's, it's very important for me to do that with the, the chefs that I have under me. I love so, hearing yeah. that. The bistro so, is amazing. So you do the bistro. And when do you start to transition? So you, you're there, with, if I'm calculating this right, like 97, 98 time 99 yep. is that about uh -huh. right i would say 98 yep to 99 then, uh, then then you come I, knock into the jw marriott no right? so, no, no, no no hold on i got a keep whole going. timeline here give man. it to me give it to me <laughs> i'm jumping a one, year the next one was uh was the omni colonnade mm. all right there was a restaurant there called doc dammers uh in the past and it was uh that was my first real hotel job when I took that job, I was started to really like dive into the career. And, and I was always told by, you know, other chefs that were mentors were like, hey, listen, you, know, you need to find a job and work banquets for a year. Mm -hmm. So I found a job at the JW Marriott working for a chef called Mark DeCreens in the banquet department. And that was a whole other thing. And that there I figured out that, you know, my true love was in the in the restaurant, you know, because I like the pressure, you know, banquets are fun because you get to be really creative, but I mean, it was way too controlled for me at that moment. But that was, you were part of the opening team of that JW Marriott. No, not, no. well, the JW Marriott, yes, but this was Omni Colonnade. Got it. So after Omni Colonnade, I mm -hmm. went, and this was uh, actually one of the most important restaurants that I worked at. It was called Baleen at Grove Isle. Oh yeah. You know, I've had two mentor chefs in my career. One guy was Hans Klein. The other guy was uh, Robin Haas, may he rest in peace. If I learned anything from Robin was how to be gregarious and how to be the, you know, how to command the room. Because if anybody had that ability, it was that guy. I don't know if you ever met him. Mm -mm. Uh, Steve, but no. He was one of those guys that was larger than life. I mean, unbelievable. Um, and, you know, he was another chef that taught me a very valid lesson. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to go into a little story here, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, go for it. So we had just, we, we weren't open yet, so we we're in the pre-opening phase. So, you know, when you're in a pre-opening phase in a restaurant or hotel, especially in the kitchen, you're starting to build, um, you know, a menu from ground one. So you're starting with all the stocks and sauces, you know, you're starting with all the, the base prep. 
So one of the base prep ideas, uh, Chef Robin had this idea for a golden crab risotto. Okay, golden crab is a crab that's caught off of our coast in uh, water over 500 feet deep. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff. So uh, we're making a golden crab stock. So I was tasked to make the stock and pull it out. I left that day and I didn't make, and I didn't pull it out. You know, I totally had a, a brain fart and, and I walked in and Robin, you know, was one of these larger than life guys. So he was standing there cursing like, who the hell and blah, 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 did this. And, and I went up to him like, hey, chef, you know, it was me. I took off my apron. I was like, oh, you know, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. And he was like, no, you're not going anywhere. And I was like, okay. He was like, you know what, Sean? Because you had integrity. You came and you owned your mistake. And that taught me a valuable lesson in this career. You know, uh, you got to own your mistakes. If you make them, own them and learn from them. And then don't make them again. Because I always say, you know, if you're making the same mistakes, you're not learning. If you're making new mistakes every day, hey, you know what? You're learning. So it's good. It's a good thing. You know, so I, I learned that. And then uh, I started there as a, as a uh, line cook. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I did really well. I worked every station. I learned every station, mastered it. And it was funny because, you know, Robin would tell me, hey, he's like, you know, Sean, I could tell where you are just by looking at the knife work. And I was like, wow, that's a hell of a compliment, chef. And he was like, yeah, man. He was like, keep on doing what you're doing. So a year into that, he offered me uh, the PM sous chef job. So that was my first, you know, real sous chef job i remember i got paid thirty six thousand dollars a year and i was like man i'm really in the money now <laughs> get some rims on that truck <laughs> oh no i said i had sold no, the truck by then i went and i got a i got myself a a, a brand new uh uh explorer sport track and i was like that's it dude you know what's next Set. ferraris you know? yeah. No, Grove Isle is a special place. So for listeners, it's sad that they knocked down this hotel. I actually got married there, so I know the place really well. Yeah, uh, and I love uh, that restaurant. But that's where uh, yeah, water views all around in Coconut Grove. And it was mm-hmm. like one of the first places that a lot of celebrities went. And up until yeah. it closed, the Mr. Worldwide, Mr. Pitbull always hung out there. So yep. he was always so there. But go ahead. That's where I got my love for seafood. And, you know, I really got into cooking fish, you know, um, at Grove Isle, the Balin was a, a seafood restaurant, kind of like us, with, with the with the idea of a steakhouse behind it. And this will come into play later on in my career. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, uh, an amazing place. I mean, every detail was looked after. Uh, one thing about Chef Robin was he was very detail-oriented, and, I, and that taught me a great deal as far as, you know, being a, a good chef and, and how to command a room and command the kitchen. Even though he was a bit unorthodox, he was, I think he was probably the last, uh, uh, the last era of the of the crazy chef that would throw things and curse you out and stuff like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we were all on the receiving end of his of his ire at times. But hey, you know what? We learned a lot, and and I thank him every day. You know what I mean? It's uh, he passed away. I think it was a year or two ago. It was uh, it felt heavy on a lot of us because there was a lot of people that came out of his kitchen. You know, his kitchens. You know, it is what it is. That's life, you know. But uh, definitely uh, was one of my best experiences. So So when do you start? Why do you transition out of that place? Well, it was time. You know what I mean? I was there for two years and and I was, you know, still on my on my quest of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two years I mastered every station. I mean, they weren't I wasn't going to be promoted to the chef de cuisine or the rest or the, or the chef of the 
the restaurant. So, you know, I was just, you know, kind of running in place. So I was like, you know what? It's time for me to move on. It's time for me to 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 take on the next challenge. So nice. one of the guys that I had met there, he worked banquets. A guy called Emil Mashaka. He went and he went to open up the JW Marriott. So Got the it. first JW Marriott, the one that's on Prickle. Yep. He uh he was like, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for you here. I think you'd be great uh, as a chef of the restaurant. So. I got the restaurant chef job there at the JW Marriott. I Which is big because this was the time when Miami was starting to transition. So we went from having not really any luxury hotels to all of a sudden having the JW Marriott and Brickle, which at the time was considered really high end. The Mandarin, the Conrad. The Conrad, Conrad yeah. The Lowe's Four opened seasons. up the year before. Four Seasons a little bit after. So all these hotels started opening, which was awesome to see. Miami was like starting to just transition a little bit, especially yep. that downtown area. So you're there doing, what did you do there? You're in charge of the restaurant. Of the restaurants, yeah, there was actually three restaurants. One was called um, Isabella's, which was named after the owner's daughter. Mm-hmm. The other one was called Las Terrazas, which is kind of like the casual restaurant. Then you had Drake's, which was a bar downstairs, like serving tapas. Then there was uh, the Trapiche room because the owners of that hotel also own Trapiche Winery in Argentina. So um, I got to. It was a very slow hotel. I mean, we really didn't do a lot of. Uh, food and beverage mm-hmm. banquets was a pretty big deal there so you know we'd always help out in banquets but i mean uh, the cool thing about that is i finally got to write my own menu and put out my own menu with my own recipes which was pretty amazing and that's when they you know all the the cool uh media started so you know mm-hmm. i was uh coming out in the new times and the miami herald and i was like wow man i think i'm really like you know i'm about to hit it you know what i mean i was like super excited and you know then my mother's looking at me. She's like, now I understand why you work for free everywhere, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you see, Mom, I told you. I was like, yeah, I told her, Mom, you got to be patient. You know, things, good things don't happen fast. You know, they take time. You got to build stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that was what I did at the JW Marriott. I was there for a couple of years. So I was there for two years. My next jump was, was pretty crazy. One of the, we had a sales girl. Her name was Fetlana. Right, mm-hmm. and she was from Venezuela, and she was, you know, a big fan. She would always come upstairs. We talk, you know. She loved the food I was doing, and she said that she had some friends that were coming from Venezuela that were going to open up a restaurant on Miami Beach. So, you know, she wanted me to talk to them. So they brought them in one night to have dinner. She brought them in one night to have dinner at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I cooked for them, and you know, we sat down, we talked, and right there they offered me a job. We opened up a restaurant called Tambo which is in Miami Beach, right on Purdy Avenue. I believe the restaurant that's there now is called Sardinia. Mm-hmm. So the only restaurants in that area at that time, I know that area is blown up, Sunset Harbor. Yep. You know, uh, where Stiltsville is now, there used to be a place called Joe Allen's. That was the only other restaurant there. So Tambo was a pretty cool restaurant because we kind of were one of the few restaurants that were ushering in that, that Japanese-Peruvian fusion, that Nikkei-style cuisine. So I was, uh, we opened a restaurant called Tambo, and at the same time, uh, that's when Nobu opened up, and that's when Sushi Samba opened up. Yeah, so the whole three style. Us, the three of us were kind of doing that style, which is pretty cool. I was there uh, for about a year, and then the restaurant went belly up. <laughs> Hard business. <laughs> which mm-hmm. happens a lot. And then, um, you know, I created a pretty cool menu there. I mean, we had a, the, I, I, I like to say the first, you know, ceviche bar that, you know, that was in Miami. And we were doing this crazy fusion. I had 
12 different types of ceviches on the menu. We had had a great sushi chef, one of the best guys I've ever worked with, doing some amazing sushi. We had some really cool fusion in the kitchen as well. And Tambo was a great restaurant. Food was amazing. Tiny little kitchen, but you know what? We pumped out a lot of really nice stuff. It was unfortunate that, you know, the, the owners came down and, you know, sometimes uh, business practices in, in, in other countries don't, aren't the yeah. same as business practices down here. That's true. You know, you can't, you can't say, Hey, just come in here, you know, Mr. Cisco and have dinner on us and, and forget about the bill we owe you. You know, you know, <laughs> Mr. Cisco doesn't play around with that. And he wants his money. You know, you live and learn, you know? So after that, you know, I took a little hiatus. Um, I had an opportunity to work as a private chef and working as a private chef, the gentleman I worked for had a boat. He was an avid fisherman. So, you know, we'd spend a lot of time down in the Bahamas. It was pretty neat because, you know, I, I love to fish as well. And, you know, I love to go spearfishing. So that's what we did, man. It was amazing. You know, I'd be there spearfishing. And then the fish that we caught, I'd bring it up and i cook it that night for dinner. It was just, you know. So, so one of the first ocean to tables in the city. Just, just unbelievable. You know, I mean, it was one of those kind of opportunities that, you know, it's no, it special. But now, you know, I want to jump on to where yeah. you start at the ocean air seafood room so oh, yeah. that was a this is point. where you came onto my radar and yep. from all accounts really became one of the better chefs in the city so wow. tell me how did that come on your radar incredible uh, so i come back from spain and i'm kind of like saying what the hell am i gonna do you know i took a job at the kiva skin yacht club because i couldn't find anything else so I was working there and then, you know, I look in the, I'm looking through the, the New Times because back then we didn't have Indeed and all these nice things. We pick up the Miami New Times, look in the back and, mm-hmm. and there I saw that the picture of that, of that, um, of the Marlin, you know, the Ocean Air Marlin. And I saw that and, all, and they were like not hiring an executive chef and general manager. So I sent my resume in and I got a phone call from the corporate chef and, you know, I had the job. <laughs> it was incredible. Just and, unbelievable. And setting the scene, this was, again, Miami 2004. Mm-hmm. You know, the downtown Brickell area is starting to develop. It's nothing like it is now. Oh, no. Mary Brickell Village pops yeah, up. Yeah, that was there was Paracones. Yeah, it popped up. And this was the anchor restaurant of this development. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it being developed. Like, wow, that looks so fancy in there. <laughs> it was oh, like, man. Like, you know. So tell me, what was it like working and starting in that restaurant? Listen, it was absolutely the best experience and job I've had to date didn't get paid that well, but the amount of knowledge and, and exposure to, to great seafood and context that I made in that is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. So in Miami, if you're in, in business and you have to deal with construction, typically construction in Miami is never on time. Nope. I'm <laughs> very seldom. So, you know, uh, we were delayed for about a year. So, uh, they hired us and they're like, what are we going to do with these guys? So they started sending us to all the other restaurants around the country. So I started covering chefs on their vacations and, and got to see pretty much the United States on Ocean Air's Dime, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, you know, the ocean, the, the, the amount of seafood we'll buy was just unbelievable. I mean, uh, if you think about it, you know, right when, when the Ocean Air took over, you would see a lot of restaurants that would say, oh, we got local fish, but in reality it wasn't, you know, and, and one of the things that we did at Ocean Air was like, we truly 
knew the source of our fish. So we bought from small, small providers, you know? Yeah, we did have the larger seafood companies we would buy from, but I mean, I, I could tell you right now, Steve, my, my day at the ocean air will probably begin around 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. After the first two hours, I would be there chasing fish. You know, I'd be making my phone calls to the guys that I had in, in Seattle. And those guys were the ones that were my connection to Alaska. So, you know, I was bringing in beautiful halibut, you know, all the all the river run salmon, uh, you know, Copper River, you know, uh, just all, all the, all the you know, Castle Cape, all these different types of uh, salmon. You know, before you'd only see, you know, Scottish salmon or Chilean down here. But I was bringing in, you know, the Chinook salmon, the sockeye, coho salmon. I mean, it was just unbelievable. How did you set up those relationships? That's hard to do, right? Like, who are you? Where are you calling from? Was it like that? Or was that? What was fortunate was that, you know, these relationships were were already begun by the company and by the Mm -hmm. corporate chef called uh, Wade Weasley. And he had started that. And then, you know, just um, to foster these relationships, I mean, I was able to travel. I was out. I went out to Seattle. And we spent time over in the oyster beds and working with Taylor Shellfish Farms and and digging up gooey ducks and, and doing crazy stuff like that. You know, if you ever saw the episode uh, of uh, Anthony Burdain that he was out there in Seattle working with Taylor Shellfish, one of our chef partners was with him, this guy called Kevin. Now you uh, go back and watch it. Yeah, it was one of our I, our guys, Kevin. He was a chef of the um, of the Seattle branch of the Ocean Air Seafood Room. But, I mean, just, you know, Seattle, Washington, you know, and then, of course, I you know, people started uh, – to hear about the restaurant down here. So I started getting hit up by the small companies down here. And I started to establish these great relationships here with these guys that were just bringing me unbelievable fish. I mean, literally just caught. I mean, not out of the water for more than 24 hours. And, you know, we, you know, we were also bringing in a bunch of different species in this restaurant. We're bringing in things that people didn't see in Miami, you know, Arctic char at the time. Now, of course, it's all over the place. But at, the, at that, during that era, you know, we we're bringing in some pretty cool stuff. I mean, I got, I had the opportunity to go out to Dutch Harbor and go out on the crab boats with those guys, you know, went out on the time bandit, mm-hmm. you know, not name drop, but I mean, it's true. You know, we went out there and spent two weeks out there in a, <laughs> in a small, tiny island that we were closer to Russia than we were to the United States. And it was incredible. I mean, you'd see, you'd see uh, bald eagles like you see pigeons down here. I mean, it was just unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, that's serious. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's just it's a know? nice, nice view you're painting. And so, you know, it was amazing. I mean, we we bought just for the Miami restaurant. I bought was a twelve thousand pounds of of king crab off of one of their buy off of one of their uh, shipments, and I sold that in about you know almost ten months at this restaurant. I mean, we sold so much king crab. It was incredible. I mean, the stuff was pristine. It was amazing. And so that was really the restaurant you were managing also the biggest staff, right? I think you had almost like 90 people that you, you yeah, were managing. Yeah, what was, was that like? The business. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, they always say, you know, the, the hardest part of, of being a chef is not the cooking. The hardest part is the interpersonal things. Because you got to remember, you know, in, in a kitchen, you're dealing with a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different cultures different countries, different languages. So you got to be really in tune with, with people uh, when you're working these things. Now, uh, granted, at that time, I was a bit crazy. 
uh, I was uh, obsessed at the moment with perfection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything had to be absolutely perfect at that time. So I, I could tell you right now, and I, and I say this to everyone that, that hears this, maybe people that work with me in the past, I wasn't the easiest guy to deal with because my expectation level for myself is extremely high. So then I tend to put that on others. So, you know, uh, it was tough. It was tough. But a lot of great chefs came from, you know, from my from my uh, restaurant tutelage. One of the things that, that an advice I could give out to any young aspiring chefs or anybody that just got their chef job is keep your eyes open for the raw talent. When you see the raw talent, culture it and, and teach it your way because then that raw talent is going to continue and continue your teachings and, and your methods that, hey, you know, I didn't come up with this stuff. You know, I learned this from my mentor chefs because they mentored me. So I think it's important as a chef to be a mentor. Because, you know, you're only as good as your legacy. You know, how, how many people could say, hey, you know what? This guy, Sean Bernal, was my mentor. You know, that's that's what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're all just cooks, man. You know what I'm saying? And if you could teach somebody and give them a piece of you, then they could continue to build that. That's true. And just like you're giving shout outs to the chefs that mentored you. There's a lot of people that do that for you. But, you know, I want to get back on your journey. Yeah, um, man. Because... You were at the Ocean Air. I remember seeing you. You're in the newspaper, Miami New Times. I remember that's when I, you started coming on my radar because I was working right. in hotels at that time too. So, but it comes to an end. And why did it come to an end there? I was curious. Is that because it well, sold or was it just well, changing no. uh, the culture? It went into, we went into chapter 11 um, yep. as a company. Let me tell you, it's incredible. It's a heartbreaking thing because, you know, you invested so much time and energy and, and love into the thing. And then, you know, just bad choices, I believe. You know, it was a company that unfortunately grew too fast, too soon, and went into uh, uh, not A markets, but went into B and C markets, expecting A market money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you start signing leases, you know, at the end of the day, the landlord wants their money, whether you're busy or not. You know, so that's one thing I learned there, you know, was choosing the right place to open up a restaurant, you know. So, uh, unfortunately, that one, Chapter 11, uh, Landry's came in and purchased it. And, you know, Landry's came in and, and very successful company, uh, plugged in their, their you know, their, their method of operating. And they're just something that didn't gel with my value system. So, you know, mm-hmm. I moved on. And that's when me and you met, buddy. That's when our stories crossed. So That's right, man. You know, I was actually, for the listeners, I was actually at Chef Sean's Tasting at the Delano Hotel. I was standing there in the little kitchen downstairs when you did a tasting for Joseph Ojeda, myself, and maybe one other person, but I remember your tasting. Yeah, and Sean Muhammad was in there. (laughs) So I remember your tasting, but I have my points of view, but what was your points of view of working um, at that time at the Delano? It was really, we were working for China Grill Management. Yes. um, But we were Delano employees and we were part of Morgan's Hotel Group. Mm -hmm. So what do you remember about that? Well, I remember it being uh, when I got in there. Uh, number one, it was to work for a chef called Claude Trugro, mm-hmm. which you know I wish I would have had a little more experience with. I mean, he didn't come in much, but you know, once I saw that, I was like super excited about getting in there. And also, Blue Door Fish, so it was kind of in my wheelhouse at the time. It was a great hotel. I mean, a, a different hotel because it was small. I think you could agree to that. 
Yep. Really didn't have a huge banquet operation. Our nope. banquets were run out of the restaurants and whatever public common area had enough room to put some tables and chairs in. That's where we did our banquets. I thought it was a pretty neat place to work. A lot of unique people. Definitely uh, an iconic place. I mean, I'll never forget the beauty of that hotel, walking down that hallway with those those big columns and those beautiful billowing, you know, kind of a... a uh, curtains, know, what, yeah. Curtains, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, you know, unbelievable. That big crystal piano in the corner, you know, the nightclub downstairs, and you see Jamie Foxx show up and... You know all these different stars so i mean it was it was a pretty uh pretty amazing place that was incredible it was and this is one of the places i tell people you know it's one of my favorite places to work and i just wish we had more time there because mm-hmm. you know chef sean and i you know this is where really i was coming to my own chef taught me a lot like i wanted to give you a shout on this podcast because you were the first chef that came into the front of house lineups and would teach us about the oysters like i learned oysters from you by the way Right. I learned a lot of things about seafood from you that I still talk about to this day and got to see, you know, lionfish for the first time coming off the coral reefs that you were getting and the hogfish that I posted a picture of not too long ago. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, young, fresh face uh, on it. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to give you a shout out here because there's not many chefs. I won't say not many. There are some, but the best also teach and help the servers be better salespeople and help the managers just get more educated. And I wanted to give you a shout out on that because we did some special things there. Once we got our groove, we got mm-hmm. our Forbes four stars yep. and then they, they shut us down. Basically they yeah. sold the food and beverage operation to a group out of Las Vegas, which I still think we would have crushed it if they would have let us keep going. But what do you remember from that part? Well, uh, I remember that, that that went on definitely remember you know being able to give precious i think that's something that 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 culture was taught to me by the uh at the ocean air seafood room <laughs> just mm-hmm. uh, the more you educate your sales team the better are the better they are and the more confident they are i think uh, uh, a confident server is a successful server so if you give them confidence in knowing that the product that they're putting out is the best you know, and that is going to be handled correctly. I mean, they come to the table and they're like, hey, listen, you know what? Close your menus. I'm going to curate a dinner for you. And for those adventurous in dining like me, I'll be like, all right, let's go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that that's something that that was always ingrained in me. But what I remember about Delano Hotel in that that era, I they actually, I remember, uh, Steve, you left. Mm-hmm. And then they, China Grill took me over to the Mondrian and put me in Asia to Cuba. Yep. Right. So I was at Asia to Cuba, which was a complete culture shock because you went from like the Delano, which was all this fabulous, and the Mondrian was fabulous too. Don't get me wrong, but it was just run not, a little bit different. <laughs> a little not, different. It's not the it's not the Delano. It wasn't the Delano. So yeah. I was there for a little while, and then you know, uh, it's funny. I get a phone call because in the transition, I helped out their corporate chef, a guy called Brian Massey, which is another one of my mentors because he taught me. The business side of it uh, yep so uh brian calls me after i think it's probably like six months or so that i was gone and he's like listen man he's like what do i need to do to get you back here i'm like really why what's going on he's like the place is hemorrhaging money and and i know remember we had uh, our cfo steve marblestone mm-hmm. so you know he was a big time numbers guy and you know i became a big time numbers guy because i enjoyed to see you know i enjoyed to see that part of it 
not, it's not only about cooking, you know. So Chef Massey tells me, hey, come back. You know, I want you back here. We need you back here. And he offered me the job. And I left Asia to Cuba and went back to the Delano in the light, under the light group now. Mm-hmm. So it's not weird. Whenever people see my resume, they're like, wait a minute, I don't understand. You worked at the Delano, then the Mondri, and then back at the Delano, but you still work for the same company? I was like, well, yeah, technically it was always a Morgan's Hotel group. So people were kind of like, well, that yep. doesn't make any sense. So I have to sit there and explain it to them. Then after like a good story, they understand it. So It didn't make sense to me when I worked there. But <laughs> so, so. so what was the biggest difference? I never asked you that when you went back. Was there a difference? Uh, was the structure, yeah, man. It was, you know, obviously it was Italian food. So mm-hmm. we weren't doing any seafood. It was more of a party atmosphere because those guys brought their, their Las Vegas party from Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. And albeit the food was was great. I mean, the menu was great. The big focus was on you know yeah, how could we get sales. the nightlife, how could we get the nightlife component going here. So that was a big focus on that. So I mean, it went well. I mean, I had no issues there. We did great, you know. And then uh, once again, Light Group, uh, their uh, their contract expired, and Morgan's was coming in. And they said, well, we we're going to take back over. And Morgan's was like, well, you know what? That group guy's got to go. So that was a, a, at a big turning point in my life when I got let go from there because it was completely unexpected. I mean, things were going great. And it was just, you know, you understand, you know, when you got a new management company coming in, they want to bring in their own people. I mean, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's uh, re- imagine really- I, had just, I had just bought a house. I just had a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, that happened. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do now? That transitioned me into the Ocean Reef Club, which is kind of where I went underground for a little while. As you know, you know, I went there and I was there for about six years. And at the Ocean Reef Club, being a private club in Key Largo, you know. Yeah, but not, not any private club. So let's talk this up to listeners. It's like the 0.01% of the world country yes. club. Every billionaire has a house there. It has yeah. its own hospital has its own airport it's uh-huh. the va- the valet is all private jets yep. so don't, don't undersell where you were <laughs> where you were working well uh the way that that happened uh, you know of course you know the delano ended so i was kind of in between jobs and i went and i and uh steve paracone mm-hmm. which is the owner of paracone's restaurant he called me he's like hey you know i need some help down here you know i my chef just left and you know, could you help me get this place organized? And I was like, yeah, of course. You know what I mean? It's, I, I wasn't doing anything. So I was able to go there and start working. And, you know, funny thing, I, I get an email, random email from the F&B director at the time, this guy called Giovanni Mellis from the Ocean Reef Club. So uh, backtrack a little bit to the Ocean Air Seafood Room. Uh, I got invited to go and cook a private, a couple private dinners at the Ocean Reef Club while I was employed by the Ocean Air Seafood Room and also to teach some classes. Right. Because, you know, so then he says, hey, listen, you know, I don't know what you're doing. He's like, but, you know, and forgive me for being so bold, but, you know, I want you here to be my chef at my seafood restaurant. And, you know, are you interested? So, you know, of course I call him back and and then six years go by. <laughs> you know, I took the job down there and I took over the restaurant called The Islander, right? Mm-hmm. So The Islander was like their main restaurant. Um, it was a restaurant where everybody could go. Because, you know, you had some restaurants that were members only, you know, and, and the cool thing about Ocean Reef Club is that there was a lot of different things going on. I mean, we had a place called the Ocean Room, a place called the Galley, you know, uh, uh, Giovanni's, another restaurant. I mean, just had like at least six, seven, eight restaurants over there. 
And, you know, I had the one that, you know, was the highest grossing one. We were located in Buccaneer Island, mm-hmm. which was kind of like the, the pool area for them and the beach. So, you know, I also took care of a restaurant called the Palm Court, which was like their outdoor kind of a dining restaurant for lunch and the beach grill, which is the, the kitchen that served the pool area and the beach area. And a little thing about that kitchen, that kitchen was absolutely tiny, but we would pump out about 1,500 to 1,800 covers a day out of that place, especially in high season. Wow. It was absolutely and, and, insane. And for listeners, covers is an order, right? So just that you're pumping out 1,800 orders uh, of food out there, it's crazy. Yeah. So that's yeah, perverse. That's nuts. So, that's wild. So, so you're there for a couple of years, right? You're, you're there doing your thing. Yeah, yeah. You're there a long time, actually. And yeah, then, six years now. What happens? Why well, what, six, why the, the move? Why the change? Why the change? All right. So six years in, you know, there's a, I'm, I'm the chef de cuisine there, and there's a group of chef de cuisines for every restaurant. And, you know, me, I, I'm a pretty ambitious guy, you know, and, yes. I, and, I, and I was always thinking, like, man, what's next? You know, like, there's a lot more that I could give. You know, I want to be able to, to do more in this career, you know, because remember, Ocean Reef Club? It's very quiet over there. You know, no one knows what you're doing. Like, I mm-hmm. fell off the map when it came to the culinary scene here. From, like, being in newspapers all the time and doing little TV spots to completely, like, going black. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody knew what I was doing. So, yep. I guess I wanted, back, I wanted to be back. Yeah, it can be humbling. Yeah, you want to get you know, back I want, in the show. I wanted to be back in the limelight. I wanted to... I actually really wanted to get into the corporate chef game because, you know, I, I was... You know, I already had experience building restaurants, you know, uh, you know, Hurricane Irma came, destroyed the Islander. You know, we had about four feet of water come in the restaurant. So then I had the opportunity to redesign the kitchen and, you know, and, and make it functional, which was, you know, pretty cool. So I was like saying, wow, you know, I could do this corporate chef thing. So Brian Massey gives me a call. He's like, hey, you know, I got, I know a guy out here that he's looking for a corporate chef based out of Miami, he's opening up a restaurant down there. So my, Miami, he has some restaurants up here in Las Vegas, going to mm-hmm. open some things up in Tahoe. So I was like, all right, man, let's go. So I went to an interview with this guy, and the restaurant was called uh, El Dorado Cantina. It was a Mexican, Mexican cuisine, something I hadn't done before. Yeah, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So I started working for them. It was amazing. I mean, had a restaurant down here on Ocean Drive, partnered up with Pitbull down here. It was called El Dorado 305. Partnered up with oh, him. is that restaurant? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Partnered up with him and, you know, had a couple of restaurants in Vegas. So I was between here and Vegas. And then, you know, I'm going to say the P word, the pandemic hit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I get the, you know, I come back from opening up one of the restaurants up there in Vegas. And I get the phone call. And he's like, hey, listen, the owner's called me. He's like, look, he's like, you have two choices. Either you move up here and keep your job or, you know, you get, you know, I'll pay you the rest of your salary to finish out the year. And I couldn't go because, you know, I have a kid. Yeah, I get your son here. Yeah. I couldn't move. So I had to take that, you know, and the pandemic cost me that one, which was kind of bittersweet because we were just starting to hit a stride and, you know, things were starting to get organized. The food was unbelievable. Yeah, I, was good really getting, yeah. I was really getting into this, this Mexican cuisine, which, let me tell you something. It's unbelievable. It's it's. I I I'll tell you right now. The, the two best Latin American cuisines in the world is Mexican cuisine and Peruvian cuisine. In my opinion, that's my opinion. I can't you know. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it because I mean it's just so varied and different. 
regions bring different ingredients and different techniques. It's just unbelievable. So that happened. So I pretty much sat around for a year, <laughs> you know, yep. waiting for something. And you it was know, hard because no one was hiring. All the restaurants were closed. Oh, man, let me tell you something. It was a definite gut check. Thank God that that this uh, this uh, owner, you know, took care of of me and you know, finished my salary, which allowed me to, you know, kind of like, yeah, survive, not, not freak out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or start, you know, becoming a DoorDash delivery guy. Because let me tell you, it was to the point where I was about to get there. You know, because you couldn't find anything. So you had I saw to a lot of people doing that. A lot of executives I knew started testing mm -hmm. out Uber and Uber Eats delivery and DoorDash. You have to do it. So then, yeah. you know, I, I it was cool. You know, I got a, um, you know, after that, I started looking around, getting my, you know, resume circulated out there. You know, created a LinkedIn profile. You know, went and spent too much money on somebody <laughs> designing <laughs> my resume for me and my profile. Spent too much on that, but hey, you know what? It's okay. all good. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, got consulted a little bit for the Eleven Group. Mm -hmm. You know, their nightclubs and mm -hmm. stuff that they had. You know, landed a job at EST 33. Um, was there for a little while. That that place was in, in Brickell City Center. Uh, had a brewery, a uh, great restaurant. But, I mean, I felt that I wanted more, you know, and I wanted to get back into a hotel. You know, deep down inside, I always loved the hotel business. You have a captive audience, but you're also captivating other people coming from around outside. Yes. But, you know, but there's always something to do. There's breakfast. There's employee dining. There's. You know, you got a pool. You, you, there's always something to do. It's very varied. You know, banquets, all these things. So, you know, I started really looking hard, looking hard. And then, you know, I finally found the place, my new home, which is the Mayfair Hotel. An amazing property. Big roots down here in Miami. It's funny because, you know, I was talking to some of, uh, well, my parents, my parents' friends, my aunts and uncles, they're like saying, oh, my God, the Mayfair. We used to go there and party and hang out go to the nightclubs in there the mayfair grill and ensign bitters and all these things they start telling you about and you're like wow you know, to, to be part of a historical hotel i mean the reopening of it i felt it was an opportunity i couldn't i couldn't pass up i agree with you and and just in my knowledge i'm excited because as a local that hotel always was just like a little bit tired and now to see that they spent all this money on it to really cool. rejuvenate this Mayfair House Hotel and Garden, which really is like one of the original luxury hotels and infusing yes, it, it back with all this new energy and you being there. I'm excited because I know what you can do. So tell me, what's it going to be like food and beverage wise there? Well, our main restaurant, Mayfair Grill, we're bringing in a style of cuisine. It's called Sonoran Cuisine. So, you know, a little touches on 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 what you see in the in the in the Southwest, but also what you see in, in Mexico. Sonoran Cuisine is is something that that's um, is open fire cooking, right? So that's like the 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 basis of that cuisine. So we're doing a lot of uh, you know, we have this beautiful grill. Uh, mm -hmm. We we're cooking with with live wood, live uh, charcoal. Uh, we also have a wood burning oven that we're cooking in that as well, and it's a good eclectic mix. I'm, I'm not going to say much about the menu because we're kind of keeping that a little guarded secret. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'll but, come by for a sneak peek. I'll come by. I will. I will peek. tell you this though. Um, we're definitely making our own tortillas in house. Okay. Okay. Um, we're sourcing the best ingredients. Uh, we're paying attention to technique and presentation. 
but it's not going to be something that's over the top that you're thinking, oh my God, you know, these people did something crazy. You know, when we're going to serve you something, it's going to be uh, uh, simply prepared and it's about the ingredients and the techniques done. So it's going to be uh, incredible. And on top of that, we also have, you know, the banquets and catering. There will be a, a restaurant upstairs by the pool called Sip Sip. That's going to have a uh, kind of a Caribbean kind of seafoody vibe up there. So, you know, I'll get to bring in some oysters upstairs. Nice. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, this is kind of a, it's, it's, I mean, it's a dream opportunity. I mean, being able to do everything that I love, one of the new cuisines that I'm super into, which is, you know, that Mexican Southwestern stuff. So I bringing mean, some of that Bahamian Island food as well. Exactly. That I love as well. So. Uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, man, well, I'm excited, you know, opening, opening tomorrow on September 14th. I'm excited to, to see all the reviews and I'm going to, I'm going to sneak in just so you know, you're going to make sure I get some food in the back of house. I like it better back there when everyone's going. (laughs) Well, do it like we used to, man. You know what? And, and now that Steve, you're such a busy guy, man. Just in case people didn't know, I used to give, I gave Steve a nickname, called him half day. Yeah. <laughs> because every time I come into work, I'd be like, hey, what's going on, man? You know, we shake hands up by the whole stand. And he's like, it's like, yeah, man, I'm almost out of here. I was like, my God, all right, half day. So, you yeah. know, half day, like, 12 hours, 12 <laughs> hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, as a person that works in this industry, you work an eight hour shift, you almost leave feeling guilty. I you mean, do. You got brainwashed. Yeah. It's insane. You're like, you know, eight hours. You're like, man, I feel like I didn't accomplish anything. Like, the hell's going on? But yeah. But I know, I know you're putting in the hours, especially in opening such a special new place that people yeah. are going to love. You know, the neighborhood is ready for it. So I'm excited for you to shine again and get hours all the great well reviews. Yeah. Hours well spent, my man. Let me tell you. Well, Sean, I want to go back to to young chef, not even to young Sean at the Chuck Wagon. All right. Yep. So if young Sean was starting today at the Chuck wagon and he was starting right now in this era, what would you tell him um, as he's getting started? Shut up and listen mm-hmm. and, and work hard, you know, uh, be positive, you know, and, and, and don't have that last shot of tequila at five in the morning when you got to be there at seven. <laughs> <laughs> I think great advice for any of the the young chefs coming up. Uh, Make sure you're working hard. Well, look, Chef Sean, you gave so much great advice across this episode. I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day, especially as you're getting ready to open up. It it means a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to the listeners, especially the people that grew up here in in South Florida and Miami to hear some of the the places that you worked and helped influence. So thanks for being here with us today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Steve. Great to talk to you, man. And hopefully we can do this again. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.
This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.